Well, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Tim and I'm one of the pastors here and we are so glad that you're here today. I just want to give you a quick update on our vision giving, uh, our vision 22 giving. So far, over $40,000 has come in and over $100,000 has already been committed and we haven't even really begun yet. So the date that we're hitting is October 30th. So we've been asking you to just think and pray about what might you give towards our Vision 22 giving. And so that's where I'd like you to start. It's just over the next couple of weeks, begin thinking about, praying about. If you're married, talk to your spouse. What do you think we should give? And we're asking you to give above and beyond your normal giving. If you call Bridgewater home, this is something we're asking for you. If you're visiting, this is your first week, don't worry about this. We're just asking people who call Bridgewater home. So that's what's going on. Um, a while back, Shane and I had uh, taken our girls to their dance class. And as after we dropped the girls off at dance class, we went over to hit up Starbucks. And so it was amazing because we pulled in and there was no line at all. So we pulled right up to the drive-thru and the guy asks me about my order, what do we want? And I say, okay, I want a grande white chocolate mocha and a grande java chip frappuccino. And he says, okay, so we have a grande latte and a chocolate frappuccino. I said, no, 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 no. I want a grande white chocolate mocha and a grande java chip frappuccino. He said, okay, no problem. So we have a caramel macchiato and a vanilla frappuccino. At this point, I'm ready to lose my mind. Like, I was like, what are you talking about, buddy? I said, no, 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 no. I want a grande white chocolate mocha. And I'm starting to get intense. I'm starting to get a little irritated in my voice. I want a grande white chocolate mocha. And at this point, I'm like, say it wrong one more time, buddy. I'm about to climb through that machine and drop through your headset and figure this all out for you. I mean, five minutes ago, I was calm. I was collected. I just wanted to treat myself. And all of a sudden, I got ramped up over Starbucks. Have you ever been there? Have you ever gotten to a point where you were just like, you were good, everything was going great, and all of a sudden, boom, inside, you're feeling frustrated and angry, why does something so insignificant like Starbucks, so insignificant like getting an order right, become so important that I'm now willing to treat somebody unkind? Have you ever been there? Why do we get angry? Or better yet, why do we do what we do? Well, we are in the middle of a series called Asking for a Friend, and today, the question we're working on is, you know anger is not my fault, right? That's what your friend might ask you. So today, as we talk about anger, as we unpack that, I want to answer two questions. One, why do we get angry? And two, what do we do about? Why do you get angry? Why do you get frustrated? Why do you get irritated? Why do you get annoyed? And then what do we do about it? So if you have your Bibles, go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, we're going to look at this first question, why do you get angry? And James, so if you have your, your phone or your Bible app, go to James chapter 4. James opens this chapter with an amazing question. 
Listen to this question. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? I mean, that's a pretty good question. Why do you fight with your spouse? Why do you fight with your boss? Why do you fight with your siblings? Why do you fight with your in-laws? James has the answer. Verse 2, you desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Notice what he says in verse 1. He says, there's a problem. That you and I, we have these desires and they battle within you. That you and I, we have these, these desires, we have these wants and they're sitting inside of us. They're like an army. They're, they're a militia and they're ready to fight you. They're strategically planning how to fight you and I. It comes from our desires. But then notice what he says in verse 2. You desire, but you don't have. So what do you do? You kill. You covet, or you want, but you can't get what you want. So what do you do? You quarrel and you fight. You don't have because you don't ask. And then he says you, you ask wrong with motives. You have wrong motives and you're just seeking your own pleasures. Pleasures, motives, wants, covets, desires. James says, all of this is down in our desires. Entrenched in our heart is desires that are misdirected. Desires that are selfish, prideful, that seek their own kingdom, not the kingdom of God. And so James is saying, the reason you fight, the reason I fight, the reason I get angry, the reason we get frustrated with people is because of our desires. That you and I have these desires and they come at us and they're ready to do war and it's all inside of us. Let me show you this. There's a picture of a tree I want to show you. So we see the fruit on the outside. We see the anger, we see the shouting, we see the yelling, we see the lying, we see whatever it is, right? We see your actions and your speech. That's the fruit. And that comes from your thoughts and it comes from your desires. So let me ask you this. When I was at the drive-thru, what is it that I was wanting? Starbucks? I wanted my order to be correct. What was I thinking? Hey, buddy, get my order right. You're here to serve me, right? And if I had prayed in that moment, what do you think I would have prayed about? God, please help this guy get this order right. And in that moment, I was thinking, I was believing that God was this cosmic vending machine who existed to serve me. That the person on the other side of the drive through order machine, they existed to serve me. What were my desires? They were, they were arrogant, prideful, that life is all about Tim. But let me flip this around. It's, it goes from root to fruit. Every time you and I are angry or frustrated, irritated, annoyed, 
whatever word you want to dress it up as, James says it comes from your desires. That you're wanting something deep down inside. And those desires flood into your thinking and your thinking floods into your actions. So James says the root of anger is really about I want. You do what you do because you want what you want. Every single time you and I sin, it comes down to I want what I want. Think about it. The last time you were angry, what did you want? Maybe it was this morning. You were getting ready to come to church. You were on your way. You were driving. And all of a sudden, something happened. It wasn't expected. It wasn't planned. You kind of got a little frustrated. You got a little annoyed. What were you wanting? I would challenge you that this week, next time you get angry, you begin asking yourself that question. Hey, what is it that I want right now? And why is that so important to me? What will that provide for me? Yeah, I wanted the Starbucks. Yeah, I wanted my order. This was a, a huge inconvenience. But really deep down inside, I was filled with pride and arrogance thinking this person exists to serve me. That God, if God was really in control, he would figure this out. He would have given me somebody who knew what they were doing and they would get my drink and it would be right. Deep down inside, I was filled with pride and arrogance. So what are some of the things that you want? Or maybe what are the things that maybe your neighbor wants or the person sitting next to you? We want things like comfort, pleasure. We want the praise of man. We want everybody to think that we are amazing. Maybe you want technology. What is it that you want? Deep down inside, we do what we do because we want what we want. And so many times when we get angry, we like to, to blame shift. We like to blame everybody else. Well, the reason that I'm angry is because he yelled at me. The reason I'm angry is because my kids pushed my buttons. Well, the reason I'm angry is because this is just the way I am. Or I'm angry because this is really the beer talking. Or I'm angry because we like to blame shift everything else. But what James says is, no, it's really coming from the desires that are inside of us. We do what we do because we want what we want. So, Go back real quick. Back. One more. Back. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm messing you up. All right. So we do what we do because we want what we want. Let me talk about what do we do. Now jump over to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm messing the slides guy up. Ephesians chapter 4. Slide over to the left. Ephesians chapter 4. I'll start reading in verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus, and as he's writing this letter, he's taking the first three chapters and he's talking about this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And chapter four is really the hinge chapter where he goes from this is how it looks like to be a follower of Christ and now this is what it looks like to live out your Christianity. And he gets really, really practical. Notice what he says next. 
Verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but you must work doing something useful with your own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander. Along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. So we talked about why we get angry. We do what we do because we want what we want. And James really gives us two bookends. First he says, you're willing to sin to get what you want, then that desire you have has been misdirected. And then the other bookend he gives is, when you don't get what you want, you sin. So those are the bookends. I do what I do. I'm, I'm willing to sin to get what I want. And then if I don't get what I want, I sin. It's all based on these desires. And then he says, okay, so what is anger? How, how would you really describe that? Robert Jones defines anger this way. He says, our anger is an active response. It is an action, an activity. Anger is something we do, not something we have. It is not a thing, a fluid, a force. The Bible pictures people who do anger, not have anger. So you and I, when we are angry, it's, it is an emotion. It is a feeling. It is an affection, but something we do. And here's what Paul says, Ephesians 4, 25, sorry, 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Remember, he opened this up with the, the putting off. Put off the lying and put off telling the truth. If you and I, if we're going to change the way we communicate, the way we solve problems, the way we deal with anger, it starts with being honest. That I would have conversations with people. If I have a problem with you, I should go to you and I should be honest. And I would say 95% of the problems that I have are really resolved once I look down inside and figure out what am I desiring. And I'm honest about those desires, and I see those desires for what they really are, the pride, the arrogance, the selfishness. And then I go and I realize, man, I have totally blown it. Be honest about those things. Paul says if you really want to change, you have to put off the old and replace that with something that is Christ-centered. So be honest. Put off lying and put on telling the truth. And then he says, in your anger, do not sin. He's talking about putting off anger. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Meaning you can be angry and not sin. Now, if I'm going to be really honest with you, 1% of the time, I have righteous anger. The other 99%, it is sinful anger. So what is righteous anger? Here's three criteria for righteous anger. One, righteous anger reacts against actual sin. 
Two, righteous anger focuses on God and his kingdom rights and concerns, not on me and my kingdom rights and concerns. So many times when I get angry, I'm focused on my own rights. No, no, no. I deserve this. No, I, I earn this. this. This should happen to me. Finally, I need something good to come my way. You've infringed on my rights. Sinful. Third, righteous anger is accompanied by other godly qualities and expresses itself in godly ways. Robert Jones in his book, Uprooting Anger, says all three of these criteria need to be met if you're really going to have righteous anger. So most of the time, we probably don't have righteous anger, meaning we have sinful anger. So what do we do with that? Show me the next verse. In your anger, don't let the sun go down. So first, he says, be honest, put off lying, put on telling the truth. And now he says, put off anger and put on what? Don't let the sun go down. Put on problem solving. So what he's saying is, when you have a problem with somebody or somebody's, you should go and talk to them. And you should be honest about the problem. You should do it in love and kindness and work on resolving that problem today. Well, Tim, what if the sun already went down? Then what do I do? Do I just like stay up all night? No, he doesn't literally mean that. He means keep working on that problem this day, this week, this month, right now. That you and I ought to keep current I know so many people who have had a, an issue or a problem that went unresolved. And they were mad at somebody in junior high and they brought that issue into high school and they brought that issue into post-high school and now they're married, now they're in their 30s, now they're in their 40s, now they're in their 50s and decades have gone by and they're still angry at somebody back in seventh grade. They can barely remember their name. All they know is, I don't really like that person because they didn't keep current. And it's just started to fester and get infected. And now they're, they're angry and they're bitter towards that person because they let the sun go down over and over and over again. They didn't keep current. So if you want to work on the anger in your life, it's going to require us to work on it and keep current. So here's what I want you to see. Anger is an indicator that something is wrong. Anger is an indicator. It's like the lights on your dashboard in your car. You know, one of those lights might show up and say, hey, your, your trunk or your car door is open. It's not the problem with the light. You should shut your trunk. Or my favorite light is the gas light. Like, I, I just drive around with it on all the time. It's not the problem with the light. You should put gas in your car or the dreaded check engine light. That could mean a plethora of things, okay? But the problem is not the light, the light is an indicator of something going on in the vehicle. My anger, your anger, is an indicator of something going on in my desires. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says this. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. So none of that this week. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Pay attention to that one. 
But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, hopefully you're not saying that anymore, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus is saying, if you murder somebody, be ready for judgment. If you're angry with somebody, be ready for that same judgment. Jesus is saying, murder and anger are essentially the same in our hearts. There's drastically different consequences. One of them will get you in jail for a long time. But what Jesus is saying is when I'm angry, when I was in that drive-thru, Jesus would say, Tim, you had murder in your heart. Call it frustration, call it annoyed, call it whatever you want. But anger was sitting in my heart. Jesus says that's a big deal. Anger is an indicator of something gone really, really wrong. There's two ways people typically deal with anger. The first way is they blow up. Right? They're like a volcano. They just explode all over the place. It's visible. You see it. You know it's happening. Right? They shout. They yell. Maybe they call names. And they're, maybe they're even violent. They throw things. They're a volcano. They blow it up. The other way is they clam up. They just stuff everything down. They bottle it up, they clam it up, and they just shut everything off. Maybe they kind of give you like the cold shoulder. Maybe they just stop talking to you. Maybe they just kind of like glare at you. Maybe they just kind of like, they huff and they puff. Right? They don't, they don't deal with it. They stuff it all down. They bottle it up. And people who blow up, they think the answer is, well, I'm just going to swing the pendulum all the way over here, and I'm just going to stuff it all down, put a cap on it. And how long does that work? The pendulum comes back, doesn't it? And you try. You stuff it. For a while, it looks like it's working. And then the lid comes off. And if you stuff it, you think, you know what? I just need to bring the pendulum all the way over here. I just need to let it out. I just need to vent. I just need to get this off my chest. You've pushed my button one too many times, and it blows up. The answer is not blow up or clam up. Paul says the answer is right in the middle. Go after the problem. Go after the problem. Resolve the issue. Whatever the issue is, maybe the issue is in my own heart. Maybe I'm so arrogant, I'm so prideful, I think everybody exists to serve Tim. Or maybe the issue is you and I just need to have a conversation and clear some things up. Look at verse 27. He gives us a warning that if we don't take care of anger, if we let the sun go down on our anger, he says, do not give the devil a foothold. Meaning there's a, there's a place, there's an opportunity that if I let problems go without dealing with them, I don't resolve them, I don't talk about them, I'm not honest, I'm not keeping current, what can happen? Satan can drive a wedge between you and I that now we're living with unresolved conflict. And so there's a warning there that this can actually become a fortress in my life. Show me the next point. Unmanaged anger is a fortress for the enemy. That he will take that as an opportunity. He will take that as a place. 
to take high ground in your life and in my life if I don't deal with that. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. That means we, we need to be honest, we need to keep current, but we also need to what? We need to attack the problem, not people. So instead of tearing people down, instead of using your words to destroy them and call them names, he says, build them up. Build them up according to their needs. If you have a problem with somebody, if they've hurt you, they've offended you, instead of going in there with attack mode and saying, you did, you did, you did, figure out what is the actual problem. What was the problem at the drive-thru? We weren't communicating clearly. They weren't understanding my order. And all of a sudden, I was good and angry about that. When I could have been a little more patient, a little more kinder, and I should have figured out a way to communicate with more clarity about the order I was placing. For all I know, this was this kid's first time in a Starbucks, and I was his very first customer, and here I come in angry, frustrated at what? A $5 coffee? Look at what he says next. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. 31. Get rid of, put it off, throw it away, remove it. What? Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling. Get rid of that anger. So be honest, keep current, attack the problem, not people. And now he's saying, act, don't react. How many times is your anger a reaction to what has happened? So get rid of that. Put it off, the slander, along with every form of malice. Verse 32. So he says, put that off. The anger, the rage, put it all off. and Instead, put on what? Kindness. Be compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. How? Just as in Christ God forgave you. Let me ask you this. How did Jesus forgive you? What was that contingent on? Tim, sounds like a trick question. Are you trying to trick me? It was contingent on not works, not good deeds. It was contingent on you coming to Jesus, acknowledging your sin, confessing your sin, and asking Jesus to be your savior, your forgiver. Right? That's, what it, that's what it took because God doesn't forgive everybody universally. He forgives those who acknowledge their sin, come to him, and ask for forgiveness. That's what problem solving does. That when, when I've sinned against somebody, whether I own, whether the, I have 5% of the problem or 95% of the problem, I need to own all of mine. I need to own all 5% or all 90% of mine. And I need to go to that person and be honest and say, look, what I said, what I did, that was wrong. That was sinful. Will you forgive me? Forgiveness is the lifeline to restoring relationships. 
But then on the other end, we need to know what forgiveness is. When someone comes to you and they say, will you forgive me? Or you're asking for forgiveness. What exactly is forgiveness? Here's a threefold promise. I promise not to bring it up to you again. I promise not to bring it up to others, not even as a prayer request or in a small group. And I promise not to bring it up to myself. That's what forgiveness is. And so when we're frustrated, when we're angry, we need to work towards solving problems that might require a conversation between you and somebody else. Might require you acknowledging, hey, I sinned, hey, I was wrong. What I said, my attitude, it was wrong. Will you forgive me? And, and clearing the rubble. So here's the next point, the last one. Forgiveness is God's desire, but my decision. That God really wants us to be people who are regularly solving conflicts and forgiving those who have hurt us and offended us. So what? What do we do? Here's six steps we can take. One, stop. You don't actually have to sin. You don't actually have to get angry. Number two, invite God to help. Pray. Ask God, God, please help me. What is it that I'm desiring? God, help me to, to love people the way you love them. God, help me to love the things that you love. God, right now, I'm struggling. I don't know why I'm angry. I don't know what I'm desiring. Help me think through that. God, help me to think on things that are true and pure. Ask God to help. Why am I so angry? Right now, what am I desiring? Why is that so important? What is that going to provide for me? Rethink, what do I really want out of this? What am I wanting? Why am I so angry? Number five, if there's a conflict between me and somebody else, I should go to that person and work on resolving that problem. And forgiveness might be something we need to offer. Six, go take the appropriate action. If I need to have a conversation with somebody, I need to go and do that. Take care of that. We actually have these magnets here. We have a bunch in the back. We're going to give them out on your way out. Um, take one. Take two. Take three. Stick them on your refrigerator. Put them on your car. Put them on someone else's car. Just kidding about that. Don't put them on someone else's car. Um, you can put them on Mason's car. That would be fair. But we want you to take this and put it somewhere where you're going to see it, where you're going to be reminded of it as often as you need that. Because we want to fight anger with humility. Let me pray with you. Father in heaven, we're amazed by your grace. We're amazed that you continue to shower us with love. But God, we recognize that we are people that have anger entrenched deep in our hearts. We need help. It's my, my prayer, it's my desire that you would give us the courage and the boldness to put off anger and put on solving problems, that we would run to you in those moments and that we would continue to find grace and mercy in those times of need. 
pray if there's any unresolved issues, unresolved conflicts, that we would take care of those today. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in a moment, we're going to take communion. So if you grabbed one of these little communion cups on the way in, we're going to go ahead and start working on that. And so let me tell you a little bit about communion. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul instructs the believers, and he says, Corinthians, believers in Christ, communion is about looking back, not at what you've done, but looking back at what Christ has done for you. Jesus died on the cross, and he paid for all of your sins. And when you put your faith in Christ, he sees you as clean. Your sins are washed away. You are now white as snow. And the bread represents the body of Jesus that was broken on the cross for your sins. And the juice represents his blood that was shed for you and I. Communion doesn't save you. Communion doesn't make you right with God. So if you're here today and you're not sure what communion is or you're not sure whether or not you're a follower of Christ, I would encourage you not to participate. Just sit back, listen, think, reflect. That This is really for the believer. In Matthew chapter 26, it says this. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, eat, this is my body. And then, like I said earlier, the juice symbolizes the blood of Christ that was shed for your sins and my sins. It doesn't save you. But here's what Jesus said, verse 27. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. God in heaven, we're thankful that every single morning we get to experience new mercies. We're thankful that we can enter into your presence and find real forgiveness. God, I'm thankful for this church that we can find new life in you. Just pray for everybody here if he has some unresolved anger, that today they would take those next steps and they would work on solving that. It's because of your mercy and your grace that we can find forgiveness and newness of life. Father, we thank you for all that you've done. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing one more song together.